Hey, this is Chase Barber. And I'm Jordan Willie. We're two blue-collar boys doing some blue-collar interviews. All right. Uh, welcome to the blue-collar interviews. Um, I was wondering if you could introduce yourselves here and kind of a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, my name is Lucia Banyan. I'm originally from Alaska. My father was in the Air Force and relocated the family up there and retired. And I decided to come into trucking because I got blackballed by the Teamsters, dated a trucker's son, never do that again. And I decided to run in the lower 48 states. So I'm doing that. I've been driving for five years. The, the beginning goal was to get all my debts paid off because I was told trucking is a standard pay where I didn't have to worry about being female. That was a big thing for me because I had tried working in different industries. And I'm when I say, like, I've had over 50 jobs in my lifetime. Oh, wow. Everything, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything from stripper, dominatrix, cook. <laughs> I, yeah. What? Call center service. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've done a lot of stuff. Like, you know, hi, this is Lucia. Thank you for calling. How can I help today? Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me get a manager for you. May I place you on a brief hold? I've done it all. I mean, like, literally. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay, so all these, all of these different jobs. So you got into trucking just because you figured it wouldn't be as much of a. Uh, sorry, sorry. Why exactly? <laughs> well, hold on. There I'm was assuming that the dominatrix stuff led to being able to tie down loads really well for trucking on flatbed. Exactly. The German chains. I can't tell you how excited I was for that rainbow color chain. I was like, oh, this will be handy later. Oh so- my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> No worries. So with all of the jobs that I had, one of the biggest things I realized was there was a trend in technology and trucking was headed in that direction. And so seven years ago, data science wasn't a big thing in trucking. You heard about it here and there, and it wasn't like it is now. Like the last company that I worked for, I worked with their program manager who had a PhD in data science from MIT. And I went there with him and we discussed parameters as far as trucking had no concept of you. You have to consider the weight. You have to consider driving factors, construction. He's like, well, we don't have enough historical data. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they were giving us there was one day I had a load change. I had five to seven loads change out of me in three hours. I was livid, absolutely livid. So all of these jobs. It became an amalgamation of where is the trucking industry headed? Because I love traveling. I was like, okay, so maps, GPSs weren't a big thing back in the day, but all of a sudden they were huge. See, in my family, we weren't truckers. Dad was military. Mom was a prostitute. Just recently found that out too. Found out that that she was a she was tricking before she met Dad and knocked got knocked up with me so she could get her citizenship here. It was a family discovery. Oh yeah, it's been it's been one hell of a ride, let me tell you. So, Holy. brother, <laughs> my brother he was a truck driver as well as a CDL instructor, and my sister ran passenger buses. I was the only one, and I looked at the logs back in the day. You know, the written logs and the laws in Alaska were different as far as hours you can run. And I took a look at that paper log, and I was like, "There's no way in hell I'm writing bars." And then when I found out the ELD was put in place, I was like, "Okay, I can deal with computers." So that led me to trucking, mm-hmm, the technology. But what I realized with the deregulation and then all of a sudden technology took over and here in the United States, insurance companies run how trucking companies, they, micro, they micromanage us as drivers. That camera, I have, it, I have had to gamify me driving. Six to eight seconds space between you and the vehicle in front of you, if more than two seconds, you get flagged. If you happen to be in... Uh, if you don't cross over and use your signal light, it flags the camera. And if you accumulate a certain amount of points, then you get dinged or you're forced to sit. 
So oh I looked at awful. Yeah, that is that is really insane. <laughs> it's absolutely nerve wracking. That's why I wanted to get into an older truck. I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to worry about uh, a sensor going off telling me, well, it's a powertrain control malfunction. J1939 operating in fail safe mode went to three dealerships and I, only one of them said something's wrong. I said, no, no, no. It says powertrain. You know, that makes the truck go right. Yeah, that's important. I need mm-hmm. to know. And it's throwing false codes. So, oh, see, that drives me nuts yeah. about the fact that like these trucks won't tell you what's wrong with the code. Right, right. That is, and I'm in a 2003 yeah. Control D. It, I can figure it out. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. No, no, no. Sorry, I was just like that is absolutely insane. I, I, it's really insane that that program can lock you out of your truck. I didn't even know there was a thing. And where is this? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay, we do. So like, we do not have that. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. Really? You mm-hmm. guys have that in Canada? I don't think so. Chase, do you know of that? What, where a program can lock you out of your truck for fault codes? No, for like your driving. Like she was saying how her driving can, like if she makes a mistake on the road, like they'll lock her out of the truck or make her just take a break. Uh, well, they, they, oh, yeah. they the dispatchers. send you a message yeah. and the, they force you to take a break. It's not a computer controlled right. system where like mm. it locks can't get into the truck. No, I wasn't <laughs> like, thinking that. George's like, it got, got locked out of my truck. He's like, There's some guy sitting in the dispatch office be like, fuck Lucia. She went into McDonald's. She ain't coming back from McDick's. Yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't thinking that, but like, oh, hey, you need to like have this much of a break now because of the way you were driving. Oh, like oh, yeah. the, U- okay. the U.S. has a yeah. lot of things <laughs> like that that are illegal in Canada that you can't do, but like they have different allowed- Some of these companies I've heard are putting cameras that face the driver to watch what the driver's doing. Really? Using AI technology. The company I'm currently with, what it does is, because I sat down with the safety officer, and I do this at, at, at every company that I was with, I would sit down with the safety officer and I would watch the camera, and then I would attempt to figure out how to beat the camera. And when I say beat the camera, meaning that if my face needed to be straightforward, if I reached down for my cup, how many seconds did I have? I had to figure out for example, when I said uh, braking, the mitigation system, the crash mitigation system. So what happens is, is that it could be a shadow, and I had that happen, that will force me, force the truck to brake, and I have no control over it. Mm-hmm. Th- that is, is uncomfortable. I'm not, I, I'm not driving a truck with that. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? I, I, could... we, I think we talked about it on the podcast, or we were reading about it, but there was an, a report, like an academic article that came out. And it says the majority of reason why people are leaving the trucking industry today, like people are literally taking pay cuts to go work for smaller companies because they're tired of dealing with this because they're not treated like humans. They're not treated like people. These mega carriers put in these rules that literally with AI that tracks how long your eyes leave the road. Did you look down at your cup yes. too long? You're going right. to get points, too many points and you're not allowed to. People are literally just saying enough. I'm not a robot. I'm not a machine. I can drive this truck. I'm not going to, like, the wages are kind of going downhill. And people are like, well, why am I spending all this time away from family? Being, You're treating me like, even though I haven't had an accident, you're treating me like I look too long at my cup holder. So you're going to dock my safety performance pay and bonuses. And you're like, because mm-hmm. this computer said that I took my eyes off the road where I was looking over in, like, the hood mirror or something different. And it's like. Yep. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, like, what happens, like, for, for turning – 
in some tight areas, there's a time, there's times where I'm looking at my mirror more than my front end. As long as I know my front end's clear, like when I'm doing a turn, like, would you be getting docked? Oh, Hey, he's looking at his mirrors too much. Like, no, no, because okay. what it is, industry standard is three to five seconds. Your head is always constantly scanning. If you're look, if you do get flagged, they have a third party that will actually look at the footage as well as a safety officer. And they'll decide between whether or not you should get flagged or not. You know what I don't get with the market for drivers? This is the one thing, I, and this might just become because I've been in the industry for like 15 years now. But how come places that don't work for these companies just be like, hey, just so you notice, we, we know we noticed that you were taking your eye. Why don't they just be like, go fuck yourself? Yeah, I was. So, <laughs> hey, fire me. Like, I'm getting your loads delivered on time. I'm getting them done. I haven't had a wreck. Fire me. I'll go work for the next company. Like, I don't know why these truckers in these positions don't just say, go fuck yourself. Because I think the only reason they don't, and I think the only reason why it happens in the U.S., is because the U.S. has indentured servitude, like slavery for truck. Yes, it is. A, that is absolutely correct. I can't tell you how many times they have. Okay, so I don't know if Canada has this, but they have what they call a compliance safety. And I forgot what the A is, but it's a CSA score or what they call a PSP. And anything and everything a company can put on a driver's record, even falsify it. I had one company attempt to say that I abandoned a truck under a load. And the safety officer, because they didn't realize that while they were having me take this load from Texas to Virginia, I I bypassed and stopped at the new company that I was going to be attending orientation, told them the situation, delivered the load. They put it on my CSA score. And then the new company safety officer I had them get in touch with to take it off so I could get hired. Yeah, mm-hmm. the CSA safety score was deemed illegal in Canada. You cannot legally, like, they tried to I bring wish. them here. What it said is, like, hey, you're not allowed to, like, they deemed it the same as asking for a job reference. And in Canada, you are not allowed to give negative and disparaging job references. They just straight up, for better or worse, but you're not allowed to, like, flag points and this is what this person did wrong. You're allowed to critique maybe work ethic but you can't say negative things that the person has done for your company you, you can't just like start slamming this person off they made that rule because it was a threat back in the day that like hey you quit i'm just gonna give you nothing but shitty references you can't even find another yeah. job so it's like okay that's now illegal to do that in canada because and we came up with a three-month probation period if that's why we now have that it's like hey Okay. You can't give shitty references, but in exchange, we're going to let people give you like a three, four month grace period where you can dismiss them, but it's up to them to prove their work ethic. So the whole CSA school yeah, right. thing that right. the U.S. has was deemed illegal because it was placing like you could have trucking companies be like, if you quit, I'm just going to slam your CSA score. You're going to get nothing but points. And what they're doing in these big companies is like they put some companies put anything on like your dat csa score uh-huh. they'll put whatever they want on there in other words and like just so you know no other company is going to touch you because we've been putting so many points on you that if you quit other companies looking at these scores won't even hire you because you look like a terrible driver now like they're doing those kind uh-huh. of things yes. and then there's yes. the straight up slavery that occurs in the u.s which was deemed illegal in canada through lease operator programs, which are illegal in Canada, and then training. Mega companies, like mega carriers, are putting drivers like, hey, you can come here, make this money. Just so you know, you've got to work here for a year or two. And then 
uh, if you leave and quit anytime before that, you have to pay back all this training money. And we're, you know, you owe us $40,000 because that's what we deem the training worth. So it's that's like, well, correct. I can't quit for a year or two. So nope. you get a driver, you monitor the shit out of him, you make him do whatever you want because he, he's got to pay $40,000 if he wants to quit. It's literal mm. indentured servitude. Stay yeah, that's it. be criminal. That is ridiculous. See, and that's one of the things that, that I appreciate with other countries, the fact that as a human being, like, for example, this company that I'm with now currently, I've explained them. Um, so I got slammed and then got sick. I lived in my pickup truck for a straight up month. I made sure whatever it was that I had, I wasn't passing it on. And I explained to them what it took me. Uh, I could move out of a storage unit in two days. It took me five days. I knew I was going downhill. I couldn't push as hard. And I explained to them, I need a work-life balance. I don't care if it's just going to the gym, volunteering in the community, or just being able to help the elderly. I need to be able to have a life. And again, it's apparently standard industry to lie. Dispatch always lies. And that's what I keep constantly here. But when it comes for me as a driver to be accountable for my work ethic and my ability to deliver the load, you want me to give 100%, but you can lie your ass off. Never made sense to me. No. Standard no, procedure here. It's, yeah. They, they seem to say whatever they want. Here, luckily, employment standards fall yeah. under the same as advertising. That if you advertise a job, it's no different than advertising a product. And if you put a job out as a trucking company that says, hey, you can expect to make $110,000 per year, yada, 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 and your paychecks are only 70, I've done it before where one company is like, yeah, we pay our drivers 550, 600 a day. And I got my pay stubs after like two months. I'm like, hey, three months. I'm like, these pay stubs are only like, I'm only making 60 a year, 110. Uh, This guy. Mm He was a complete dickhead, but he just stopped paying me. Like he didn't <laughs> pay me for my last month of work out of the three months. That's, That's ridiculous. Wow. But I yeah. ended up having to take him to court over my wages and because I was pissed off and I needed like he owed me like six grand for the last month. I put on there and be like, Oh yeah, by the way, I guess it was three months, three three months and then the fourth. But it was I was in my fourth month when I just quit. I said, like, hey, by the way, you posted this job at hundred and ten a year. I was only making sixty. I took them for court for the differences and I won that amount. They're like, the court looked at it and they're like, yeah, it's 110 in the ad that you posted for the job. He has a reasonable expectation to make 110. You were only paying him 60, 70 based on these actual wages. And the court had to pay me the difference because that's what they advertised. That's the law here. You can't post a job offer for 110 and then only pay one, pay 60. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Wow. Okay, so here's the difference. The, the last company I worked for, they advertise and they say, we're changing the trucking industry. We have a program that will issue loads to drivers. Well, after working with that product manager, what I discovered was is that they kept saying it's the program, it's the program. Our program is only as good as its programmer. And what I came to, and what I discovered was that dispatch could switch out loads and make it look like the computer did it. And I was yeah. like, are you kidding? Oh, yes, 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 yes. In fact, I would, I would do is I'd call back and I'd gather more information from each dispatcher that I spoke to. And I said, hey, what happened to this load? I accepted the load, but all of a sudden it's gone two hours later. Oh, well, that load was given to another driver. I said, well, what does it say for the information as to why? It says computer switched out load. I said, okay, all right, that's good to know. So I, after working with them, I contacted the supervisor or the supervisor was told to contact me by the uppers and she 
attempted to get me uh they kept putting driver refuse load, driver refuse load, they gave me the same load over and over again. And I said, no, I'm going to Texas. I said, I'm going to give you a two week notice. I said, I originally wanted six months. Then I said, no, two weeks. And then when she attempted to me have a load failure, I said, how about this? Since I have the documentation, the phone calls, snap, I, I took pictures of all of it. And I said, look, now the new, the new desktop program, the, the one, the tablets that we had, it says, you must put your ETA to shipper. I, I messaged her at 8.06 a.m. I said, I will be there at noon. She set up the load for pickup at 10.45. I knew she had set me up. I said, okay. I said, I tell you what, I have all this information. You know, you, you, you know what you did. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver this load and then I'm going to drop the truck off at the terminal. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't even send a message. I, put, I documented everything in my ELD. You weren't going to tag me with anything. You're not going to drop me on my head. I've been left for dead by too many, too many times. So from, from this point forward, we're going to play this game my way. So I rented a U-Haul, cleaned out my truck, gave them the truck and trailer back, and I left. Oh, at least you were nicer than I would have been. <laughs> uh, I, like, I refuse to work for a company, but we don't have a CSA. Like, there's nothing that can come back. But I've had one company... And like this is early on in my career. There's been like three times where I've been a dick to companies, but only after they pushed me. This one company, they offered me, it was, I don't know, 10 years ago. I was in university and I wanted a summer job. So I wanted to see all of North America, Texas, Florida. And they're like, they promised. They're like, hey, we got some nice long nose pizza. I'm like, perfect. They're like, our rate isn't great. Like, they're like, well, they said our rate is average. I looked at it. I'm like, okay, it's 40 cents a mile. I'm like, that's not great whatever i'm gonna take it i want to see it it's more about the experience than the job i get there they have these long nose peats they had a long nose peat in the ad and i get there and they've got an international and they're automatic for you and it's like oh yeah the long oh no all got claimed and they're like well yeah. i came all the way to winnipeg like it was arnold brothers you were in winnipeg i'll say i'll say the name of <laughs> it was arnold brothers transports out of winnipeg they mm. flew me out there I'm, like, oh, I'm already <laughs> flown out here I'm doing it all of a sudden they want like a one week course. I'm like, I gotta do a fucking course. Like, okay, could do a one week course. Get this truck. They send me to Vancouver. They're like, okay, first load to Vancouver. Then they, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's where I'm out of. So that lets me get all my stuff out of the put in my truck and merit. Then they bring me a load back to Calgary. I'm like, okay, Calgary. I'm like, yeah, that we sorry, we just have a now. Then back to Vancouver. I'm like 40 cents a mile back to yeah. <laughs> the next day. I see my for training for an entire week of training. They gave me $700. The load to Calgary only paid like 600. That was $1,200 for two weeks out of coming out of there, out of Vancouver, Arnold brothers gave me a load back to Calgary. I'm like, Hey, I want to see North America. What's going on. This is the second time, third time I've gone back and forth now. And they said, Oh, well mm. we keep, it'll probably be about three months before we can send you to the U.S. That's our policy. And I said, no, no, no. I am. I told the recruiter that I am here on summer vacation from university. I'm taking your dog shit rate because I wanted to see North America. Now I'm driving an international right. instead of a Pete. Whatever. I want to see North America. I don't care. Yeah. And now I'm getting a crappy rate in a truck I don't want to give me a run that pays crappy just to run the highway. I'm like, I'm not. And they're like, let me send me to Texas or Florida or I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, we can't guarantee you. Sorry. Our policy is this. So I parked that truck on the side of the highway 
<laughs> grabbed my bag, grabbed everything. I turned my phone off and I just went home. I got a buddy to pick me up halfway along the highway, left that truck sitting in a truck stop, and I went back. And then they go, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Like, they call me and like, I remember him calling me and he's like, they're like, Where, where's your truck? I'm like, it's sitting in a truck stop. I'm like, well, are What's you going to give me notice? I'm like, well, you lied to me. You treated me like shit. You told mm. me the different rates, different things, different trucks, different runs. Mm-hmm. So I don't, they're like, well, that's pretty ignorant for you to do this. Like we flew you out yep. here on our dime, paid for your ticket. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, but you lied to me. So I'm like, that was your mistake by not being truthful. They're like, well, what are exactly. we going to do about this truck? We're going to have to send the driver the out truck? to like, it was on the, like, I left it at like Rogers Pass, like way up in the middle of nowhere, left it. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> oh, and they, they got it. I guess they got in trouble because this load was loaded with like mail, like time sensitive oh. overnight mail. And like I just left her and like I left it in a spot with no cell service, too. Like I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to park it here. And then their GPS can't even transmit it. Fuck them. <laughs> that is that, wow. I, I well played. Well brothers. played. I want to, I want to know the story. <laughs> I want to hear, hear what they have to say. Oh, I, I got, like I said, I got really screwed. And that was the thing mm. is like, you're telling me for two weeks of work, 1200 bucks. I looked at the run and like to go to Vancouver, Calgary, back to Vancouver was like $400. And it takes three days, four days, because you had to wait for a load. So you're telling me 400 bucks a week, like 800 bucks. Oh I'm my doing the run. goodness. Like, yeah. How the hell are you going to live off of that? For 1200 I turned around, went back and like the, <laughs> I told my boss that one of my old employers what I did. Cause he's like, you, I, he was asking me, he's like, you're going to come back and work for me this summer. I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to do the North American. I called him. I told him the story. I'm like, I left that fucking truck sitting loaded on the side of the road. I'm like, I'm coming back for work. And he's like, sounds good. See you on Monday. Get here. <laughs> <laughs> I was make, back to making $500 a day. So I was making more in one day than I was making yeah. in a week working for those guys. Like, and I, I got back into a nice long nose Kenworth hop dinner back to moving drilling rigs in alberta it is i guess like i just don't know why yeah. a company would lie do all that thing like what's the point like our drivers out there and that's where i get annoyed it's like just fucking quit if the dispatch lies to you I, and some people are like well you got to bring the truck back it's not fair to them well it's not fair to them to lie to you so it's, that truck's on them if they're going to treat you with no respect you don't owe them any respect now that would be a beautiful thing. However, with the with the laws in place that favor the corporations, it puts an individual, especially an employee, in a in a compromising position. Even though we have a quote unquote truck shortage, it's really you want to pay us shit, but not really really help us out. Like the company that I'm with, the pay is not the highest in the industry. But what I love, though, is the people that have been dedicated to this company. I mean, 20 years, you know, and I've talked to multiple people since I've been here. And I love the amount of dedication. And there's a lot of people that see the ability and the hard work that I want to put in. Like, for example, I want to be in the shop. I want to understand why that leveler on the trailer is going bad. I want to be able to change out a tire on my own with the equipment that I have. I want to be self-sustaining as a driver because when I'm out there, and I have to ask for some help. Usually when I go to a shop, they're like, oh, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. And you would not believe how many times I've gone in and I've told them what's wrong and they do something else. 
as opposed to what I actually told them. So that's why I told him, I says, I want to understand the verbiage, the vocabulary. I want to understand what parts, pieces I need. I'll even get down to the parts number. That's how accurate I want to be. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Grandma said, if you're going to be a bum, be a good bum. Well, if I want to be a driver, I want to be a damn good driver. I don't want my ability questioned. It's already questioned because with the way that our industry is, and as just across the board, working in multiple industries, it's always assumed that you're going to know less than the other person, especially as a female. I don't care what anyone says. Well, that's just not the way it is no more. You know, eat it. Sorry, <clears throat> yes, <with> recording. <laughs> I, Hold on, it's <laughs> caught that. Um, so for me, that's why it was so imperative. In fact, I bought a book called Bumper to Bumper to be able to speak everything that I need to know and understand, especially when it comes to driving a standard. I'm in an older truck. I want to be able to communicate what to the text what it is that I need. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. And like you were telling me you wanted to move in from company driver to owner operator. Like, I feel like those yep. are the skills you need to succeed. Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I admire that. Honestly, the people that are willing to meet while they're company drivers, like that's the time to learn these things. And like, you should be learning how to replace airlines, leveling valves, diagnose trucks, because once you move out onto your own as an owner operator, where you start owning your own iron, you kind of want to have a basis of how to fix it before you're, own your truck i think you're doing warning signs yeah well uh, they don't want you to be independent though i like they don't want that i don't think this company does that's what i appreciated was the fact that you know because the text will go on the camera and be like hey show me what's wrong like the my chicken lights went out and then all of a sudden the right one went out and then the left one went out and he says, Hey, take, take a look at the butt connectors. So I showed him, I actually went to the shop that they had me go to to have it repaired. I, vi- I video him. In fact, I've got a series of videos of explanations, everything from the, the brakes all the way to the lights and I'm collecting them. I'm actually making a library of somebody explaining that to me. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's the way to do it. And honestly, I don't get why companies, aren't more proactive with their drivers fixing things. And to be honest, if self-driving trucks become more and more of a thing, I think you're going to see drivers being more technicians on the road. And I think Correct. part of yep. these trucking schools need to go back to the old way of like, have a week of basic maintenance. Like if you're going to be a mega carrier or a trucking school, and you're going to be training drivers, you should be training them how to change lights, how to change a blown fan belt how to change airlines, connect these things. Because I think a driver's role is more than just, I think that's what separates a steering wheel holder from a driver. A truck driver knows how to fix his truck. He knows when he's got a blown airline, how to fix it. He knows what a blown brake diaphragm looks like. He can pop that brake pot off, throw a new diaphragm, put her back together, send her back to work. Like Exactly. I don't get why they don't train that. Because a service tech, a mobile service tech, you know, you're 150, 200 bucks an hour to call out a mobile technician. Then you got to wait for him to get to you. And normally it's a two, three hour wait. So you got to wait two, three hours. Mm -hmm. Then you got to pay 300 bucks for somebody just to change out a leaking air fitting. And then, so you got companies that are like, well, we don't want to do that. Okay, well, we're going to buy a new truck every four years, and they're getting these constant throwaway trucks. Trucks are designing these things to be thrown away because no one wants to take the time on, yeah, planned obsolescence. Because, like, just 
Treat the drivers how to change the components. It's not hard. Like mm-hmm. now, majority of the fleets of the mega carriers here in the United States have gone to automatic trucks. Trucks are four years or newer. So the it, the because of the cycle of getting rid of the trucks. Like for example, my first company, what they would do is they actually had a they had property in which all the trucks that were four years or older and they would rotate them out, they would sell that part of the fleet to the general population. I see, the, I see their trucks all the time on the road. And so whatever is new, that would be what the, the, what the general fleet of the company would drive. The problem with that is, is that now with the sensors and the shortage of microchips, they can't get the trucks out fast enough. I talked to another company and he says, well, well we can't seem to get a hold of new trucks because of the shortage. So that's the reason why I jumped in an older truck. It wasn't just the fact that, you know, they tried to set me up for load failure. It was the fact that I don't have to deal with sensors. I've got, it works, operates on a relay. For example, my lights are, are to ground. Oh, actually, my Jake, uh, my uh, engine brake, it's ground. So everything is something that I can work on. I've got my electrical kit. I got it set up. I've got my mechanics set, ready to go. So the basics of it that I can switch out and change. You know, I understand basic uh, electronics because of the little stint that I had in the U.S. Navy. I went to a tech core. So un- if you understand basic uh, electrical science, you, you, you're in. You got this. Whereas in a newer truck, you have to wait for the technician. They have to hook it up to the diagnostics. And then just you're, you're down for three days for the mm-hmm. same concept. That's the reason why. But, it's just, but honestly, I think with this company, if they offered an apprenticeship, woo, man. People would line up because we want older trucks. I signed up for trucking because I, in Alaska, there would be uh, the truck stop. There's a, a round table where all the old truckers were sitting telling stories. I saw pictures of trucks and ravines. That's the life I wanted. I said, Daddy, I was seven years old and we were doing a cross, we were going cross country on a vacation. And I said, Daddy, why, do, why that truck driver flashing his lights at you? He said, he's saying thank you. That's what I grew up trucking to be. Not this hooked up to a, a a digital system where they're counting my points and I have to sit there and be six to eight seconds and I can't be in the left lane too long. Well, I mean, you know, the police officer will stop you if you are, but you know, just the, the whole etiquette of driving the, the lifestyle. That's what I wanted. Not fast food, subway, McDonald's and all this shit. I wanted mom and pop chicken fried steak, you know, homemade recipe. Not that. Oh, it's, I think that's what most people that stay in the trucking industry like about trucking it's a lifestyle that's what i miss i miss doing a little bit of that highway work i miss being it's there's something about that freedom that independence that comes like i always loved trucking because like i said there was no boss breathing down my neck like logging is one of the best ones there's not even a dispatcher like uh, the city i worked for i probably talked to her once every two weeks that was it (laughs) probably once every two weeks she'd give me a call and be like hey how's it going Oh, it's going good. Oh, it sounds good. Like, and just a little bit of like friendly bullshitting, and that's it. You were on your way. It's not like an office job or a fast food or a mill worker factory job where there's a supervisor that's got a supervisor that's when are you clocking out? When are you clocking in? You know what? I can pick my schedule. I can go to work when I want to go to work. I come home when I want to come home. Like, it's freedom. And with these mega carriers, that's why they're having such a hard time finding drivers. And they say there's there's a driver shortage. There's no driver shortage. There's a no. They just don't want to work under those conditions. Like trucking was about the freedom. You take the freedom away from people, all of a sudden they're like, "Well, money. 
Well, the wages have gone so downhill with oh, since the 1980s wow. yeah, yeah. that people are figuring out really quick. They're like, oh, I make 25 an hour to drive this truck. I could go work at the local sawmill for 40 hours a week. And I, I could or target. make 25. I could make about the same. They're like, yeah, but you, you get more hours when you're driving truck. Oh, cool. So I can work my 60, 70 hours a week, make better paycheck, but I have no life to enjoy my paycheck. Well, I'll take a cut and pay and just go home. Mm. Back in the day yeah. when you used to be able to sell like that freedom, the cowboy, the old cowboys of the West. You know, you were yes, a free outlaws. man traveling the land. Like you could do what you want. Nobody was your boss. You made good money and people enjoyed it. They had nice trucks that they loved to drive. Like old long nose trucks. Long nose peats. Like they had problems. They fixed it. Like they were no man's boss. And you could sell that idea to people. That was a like that's why I got into trucking. And now like I wouldn't work for somebody that's like, hey, you gotta fuel up they here and this and this computer. Yes. Yep. Pocket. Yep. I don't care. I don't want to do it that bad. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, considering the the fuel prices now, and uh, what I found out, you know, reading in the news, that apparently this has been the biggest boom for owner operators to get their own authority here in the United States. I'm like, they're crazy as hell. There's no way in the world I would do it right now. There's no way. All of the things that you have to buy, the permits, and then the taxation, the insurance. Oh, I found out my husband, waste of space, my husband, his driving record affects my CSA score for my insurance as a what? truck driver. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and and that I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. Okay, you know what? We're gonna put that on hold for a bit. I'm gonna wait. I did not know the effect. You know, because I was researching. I was like, owner op, owner op. You know, I wanted log trucking. I was like, yes, log trucking. I do. I work on my truck. And then when I found that, I was like, oh, pump the brakes. Okay, you know what? We're gonna go ahead and press pause on that one. Because of the fact that he's, just a, you know, I mean, we live separate lives. That's your thing. But the trucking industry has changed so much. And I tell you what, the insurance companies are the ones that control trucking the most. Absolutely control us the most. And that's why all of the shifts and changes, like for our infrastructure. Okay, they say, well, well there's a trucking shortage. Well, not at the rest area and sure as shit, not at the truck stop because when I stop, I've got no place to park. In fact, we've got a lot of people that make their own parking spots and you can't even get into the parking spot when it's available. So obviously that's not it. I asked a gentleman, he originally worked as a freight broker and also uh, he did trucking for one year in 2008. I said, what's it like now that you've come back into trucking from 2008? He's like, there are so many trucks out here. That alone told me. I remember as a kid going to rest areas, there weren't lines of trucks from the on-ramp to the off-ramp. You didn't see that. So when a lot of people say, well, you know, back in my day when I was trucking, well, yeah, back in your day, there wasn't a ton of four-wheelers on the road taking up the interstate. You know, there was infrastructure. If you got Washington just passed a law saying that they needed to open the rest areas for truck drivers. They had them closed. Yeah, I, I did see that. I did see that. Yeah. What, they closed the rest so, for truck drivers? Yes, they closed the rest areas. They closed them down, especially California. That's why none of us like going there. For one, you have to go 55 miles an hour. Okay, that's one. Two, there's no place to stop. And if you do, it's generally between 40 to $60. Sometimes you can grab a truck stop that's 25 for you to park up or you have to pay for fuel Wait, in order for you to park to, for free. You have to pay, pay. to park? 
Holy fuck. You have to pay to park. Yes. And the traffic is insane. They don't want trucks in there. They're like, oh, the trucks are creating, they're, they're, you know, they're affecting the climate with, a, you know, a billion cars on the road. And with all the trucks, they're like, oh, it's, it's got to be the, the, the semi trucks. No, it's all of these cars. That's why you've got. And then, and so now, because California likes to follow uh, Paris in their rules, they're like, by, by this time frame, we're going to have nothing but straight trucks in the town. There will be no semi-trucks. Good luck with that. You, you had congestion before. Wait for it. You'll have it. And then Jersey, what happens is, is once California implements, it rolls out. That's why the deaf, even though it was killing their vineyards, the, the, the um, exhaust of the deaf is killing their vineyards. They rolled it out. And that's why all of us have to have deaf in our trucks now. Yep. California. It, Honestly, I don't know what the deal is with California. And you see all these things they're saying, well, we got bad congestion. Like they have a population in one state more than all of Canada. Don't get me wrong. There's congestion. Right. But they look at the trucks and they're like, well, if we made the trucks smaller and hauled less freight and had more trucks on the road hauling less freight, it'll somehow ease congestion. Yet, why the hell don't they fund like like Europe does? And don't get me wrong. Like they, they, they California loves to turn to Europe and be like, Look how they have these body jobs. They need body jobs because they have tight streets built in the Middle Ages before trucks. We don't need the Probably tight not. body jobs because mm-hmm. we have cities designed around vehicles. Like we had more space to build our cities. And But yet nobody in North America, Canada included, wants to address the actual issue is that Paris and Europe don't have the congestion problems because they have wicked public transit. Right. We have urban sprawl. We have urban sprawl. That's what it is. And because, well, and that stems from as far as the auto industry. I mean, with the lobbying that they did with the government. So they basically took over and eliminated public transit, especially in the United States. Now, there's some cities that have a, a, a beautiful transit program, but the majority of them don't because we've been We've been programmed. You need to buy a car. Yep. And it's, you know what? Honestly, I wish as a truck driver that there was more trains, like passenger train, speed rail, and really Ah. good public. Because like living in Europe, like I mean, buses come so regularly that you don't need to check a schedule because there's a bus or a city tram coming every three to four minutes and you just show up when you feel like getting exactly. it. Yeah. You don't need it. And they make it almost free. Like, hey, just make it free. Make it taxpayer funded. And like one bus takes 40 cars off the road. One intercity tram, like a little that runs around the city takes the equivalent. Like one tram takes 200 cars off of the road. Yeah. Um, and they well- run like 100 trams. Like as a truck driver, like you would think London, a city with 15, 16 million people would be awful to get around it. It's not because everyone just takes public Ooh. transit because it's so cheap and efficient that it takes all the cars off the road so that the trucks can just move in and out freely without these there's still cars. Don't get me wrong. Traffic can sometimes suck. But North America seems to look like all these cities, California, all that, they look at it and be like, trucks, that's the problem. It's like, you can't replace the trucks because you need the goods the trucks are bringing. <laughs> right. It's all the cars. You don't need hundreds of thousands of cars. You need thousands of buses and trams. Yeah. Take it from 100,000 right. down to 1,000 buses, and then let's get these cars off the road. Make, like, make it 
and I, I hate to say it, but like they do these stupid programs in North America where they're like, oh, you're on welfare or benefits or yep. things. Well, we're yep. going to subsidize your your uh, bus tickets bus and all pass. this. And it has <laughs> the best of intentions. Don't get me wrong. I love that their intentions are like, hey, these people are low income. They can't afford cars to get around. We're going to give them free. But all you're doing then is packing the buses full of bums, which means that normal people don't want to take the buses. The buses aren't, they're like, okay, they're not fully subsidized. So they're like, oh, well, we need to charge more because it's only the few paying customers keeping these buses going. And the uh, normal people look at that and they're like, well, I'm not, I don't really want to run with all those smelly homeless people. Like it's not a thing in Europe because it's just discounted at a cheap rate for everybody. And you just take it because it's reliable and it's clean. Yeah. I don't know why we just, because I just want these cars the fuck out of my way. Well, like an area like from, from Abbotsford, Kamloops, Vancouver, like that whole section, I don't understand why there isn't like a rail line connecting all of it with passenger trains. Like you get around so much quicker like that. There used to be. And that's what drives me nuts is that we had an amazing tram system in Vancouver up until like the 1960s, 1970s, they built the the big freeway, all the highway one, Ah. all the way from Vancouver to Hope. And they got rid of the tram line. There used to be a big space in the middle of the highway. And there still is that they could have trams running beside and in the middle between dividing lines on the highway with high-speed trams. And then they said, well, no, we'll just leave that and develop it into road space. They have not upgraded the highway at all or added any extra lanes between Abbotsford and Chilliwack since they built it in 1964. They haven't brought back the transit system. Like, they literally got rid of this nice transit system we had in BC all the way from the 1910s up into, like, the 50s, 60s trucked yeah. it out and now you're left with nothing but terrible well, congestion so someone pointed out too i saw actually a tiktok about it someone pointed out calgary red deer edmonton they took a chunk of that and they put it against a, an area in europe and they're like they have like an insane amount of uh subway systems here in this little area in europe or calgary red deer edmonton we have the same amount of people like the same amount of people same area but not one like one solid route like just just uh, highway traffic like just cars and trucks traveling i think calgary to edmonton is a perfect example i'd almost take her right from medicine lethbridge calgary edmonton why is there no that super fast train like in europe you have those trains that move like 300 miles an hour 500 kilometers an hour that there's basically red deer there's there's only between cal there's calgary red deer edmonton it's 150 kilometers you would get on that train it would speed up, take you from downtown Calgary, make a couple stops. Don't get me wrong. It needs a couple collection points, maybe two or three. But it would get you from Calgary to Red Deer in about 25 minutes with stops. Oh, and then amazing. it takes you about an hour and a half to drive that now. And then you would get off in Calgary or Red Deer, make one stop, hop back on, speed away to Edmonton 20 minutes later. 40 minutes between Calgary to edmonton and a drive that takes three and a half hours now like we don't need more lanes we need one two rail lines one going each way at high speed whip that train down at 300 kilometers an hour and you could pack a thousand people on there and run a train every 15 20 minutes Mm. Hmm. well there's a social status attached to it here in the united states okay so here's the thing like you were saying about the bus passes being handed out in regards to subsidizing well, along with the way that our, our society took a turn, 
with the especially the social scientists in about I think the 1950s and 60s. So and, and so we became more of consumers. Well, a car was a part of the of being a consumer, and especially when the rollout with Ford, so everybody had to have a car. Mm-hmm. Well, that that so and then oh, the interstate was established. The original intent was to move move freight and as far as the military was concerned then it was about trucks then it became about cars and now they're like oh we own the road i'm like do you understand the history of the interstate under under eisenhower yeah so with all of that coming into play with where we stand now a car is a status symbol well, and, and now it's just considered a you know just part of daily life when the, it shouldn't be sorry the, the american dream no what is it it's it's too like a nice nightmare house, two no not a nightmare but it's uh, two two cars in the driveway the house that you own in two cars that's yeah. the american dream for yeah. everyone that two cars in the driveway and a four-bedroom house that you own that's yeah, i'll take american a deuce and half exactly yeah i'll get a converted deuce and half that's my dream what a garage <laughs> nice. go ahead no, it's just funny that you know, like you're saying it is a part of the culture. Like it's it's you gotta yeah. have the two houses, the cabin at the lake. Like that's a part of the culture. Where if it was normal to you know hop on the tri- transit, it'd be used a lot more. But it's kind of like looked down upon. Like oh, you, mean, you have the money to have a car, use it. Don't get me long. Yeah, wrong. I love having my car. I'm I'm not gonna give it up. I live out of town. It's never transit's never Absolutely. gonna reach me anyways. But here's the <laughs> thing: is like I find a lot of people that are very like, I'm never giving up my car and they go against public transit and they're like, we don't want public transit. I like having a car. It's like, here's the secret, man. Even in Europe, nobody forces you to take the train. If you like having a car and you're a car guy, you should be the biggest advocate for public transit. And I know it sounds backwards intuitive, but please be an advocate for public transit. If you like driving your car, because all you're going to do is, advocate for public transit they're going to build more public transit people that are indifferent to their cars are just going to hop on the nice public transit and you're going to have less people on the road to get in the way of your car so if you like cars you should advocate for public transit because you can still drive your car no one's coming to grab your keys at gunpoint you're just going to have less cars on the road because those people are on buses taking up less space Mm -hmm. like i don't know why they argue against public transit and it beats makes me beat my head off my steering wheel because it's like dear god please advocate for the public transit so there's less people in my way for driving my car yeah they think with you advocating for public transit it means oh you're gonna take my car and i can't drive anywhere no no it's for the other people who like maybe can't afford a car or can't afford a car but don't care if they take the public transit like it's not no one's no one's prying your car out of your hands buddy like and right, it, it lets better it. drivers on the road. Europe has much better yeah. drivers. Because guess what? People that are indifferent to having a car, indifferent to driving their car, they're like, they'd rather just sit on the bus. They're not a big fan of driving. They don't like it. Yep. Are the shitty drivers on the road because they don't like <laughs> driving. They don't care about driving. They, because they don't care about it, they don't put a lot of time into learning it because it's not an interest right. to them. They'll just rather take the bus. Those are the worst drivers on the road. So by advocating for better public transit, you get the biggest idiots off of the road and it leaves the road wide open for the good drivers that know how to drive and enjoy driving. Like, please advocate for public transit. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I went to Czech Republic, so I didn't know the metro shut down at midnight. So I, I, I was uh, chaperoning a couple of kids and... I walked them back to their hotel, but I had no way to get back to Kobalitsi Prefecture, right? So I hopped tram to tram and I'm scared to death because I'm thinking, you know, with my mentality of head on a swivel, missing indigenous women, all that stuff is swimming in my head. Nobody bothered me. Mm -hmm. The trams, even though there was nobody around, the trams still kept running every 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, My mind was blown. 
And of course, if you got caught without a ticket, then you would be fine. But there was nobody there. So I got to try. I got to hop from tram to tram from midnight to five in the morning and watch Prague wake up. It was beautiful. I, I everybody was on. They came on to the tram. They were going to work. And I was like, there is no way I can stay in the United States for the rest of my life. I've got to figure a way out of here because just the quality of life was higher. There wasn't, uh, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, homeless and being on the bus. Now, get this. okay? so I have taken and utilized public transportation the majority of my life, all the way from being in North Pole, Alaska, all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, in Lincoln, Nebraska, it was nice because there was literally nobody on it. But the thing was, is the difference was the the uh, lanes that the buses traveled into and they figured out where the majority of people were going to need to go. Like in, in Fairbanks, Alaska, the bus systems have become more sophisticated. They've gotten by different color. The bus transits downtown and which is really nice when it's minus 20, 40, 50. And what, what ends up happening was, is that as bills, businesses were built, they added a bus stop to it. And now it even goes out near farmer's loop. Now farmer's loop, Fairbanks is just a big circle. Okay. So Farmer's Loop, back in the day, you the only way you got out there was by car. Now they've got bus systems there. And it's mind-blowing because University of Alaska Fairbanks is there. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to touch on one part you said earlier before I lose yeah. my train of thought. But when you said how the buses ran all night, can I just say that that is the best thing about Europe is that the buses run all yes. night. When I was going to school here... <sighs> They're in Kamloops, and along most of the cities in North America, they stop the buses at 10 because, oh, well, after 9 or 10, not a lot of people use the buses. But then they advocate no drunk driving. And it's like, but you took away the buses. All the bars and the nightclubs close at 2 a.m., and then you took all the buses away. So it's like, hey, don't drive drunk. And then it's like, oh, by the way, though, that thing that we had to get you home, we're shutting that down at 9. You're like, what about taxis? Oh, yeah, there's like six of them in this small town, and you got to wait for an hour. Or you can walk home in the cold or have a designated, like, you want to cut down on drunk drivers? Run that public transit 24-7 because you know what? There's people that start work at, like, gas stations, retail places, and different jobs that are heading to work in the city. they got to be at their work at 4 or 5 a.m. The bars close down at 3. You get all the drunks home. People start, like, these restaurants and all that, breakfast places, open up at 6 a.m. Well, that means that the cook's got to be there for 5. That means that you, by the time you got all the drunks home at 4, the guys working an early shift in the factories and whatnot are already heading to work. So, like, there is no reason. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're like, no one takes the bus. Like, we opened it and, like, the city I was in did that. They're like, we're going to test mm-hmm. one and we're going to, therefore, um, do a trial run at night to see if the bus route would be profitable and if there's enough people on it. So we're going to try it out for the next two months. And they're like, or the next month. And like, after a month, they're like, well, nobody really rode the bus. So we determined that no one's going to ride it between 10 and three, but because it that doesn't give people enough lead time to adjust their habits. Guess what? They already paid their car insurance. They already have their car. They're in their routine. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're not yep. going to just be like, well, fuck my insurance then this temporary program that's going to run for a month i'm just going to switch up all night they're not they don't care yeah no that's that, that that's a good point because you 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 wouldn't have planned on it previously so if it just no, runs I mean, yeah. people get used to it over like and it's like a five ten year thing but fuck it it's run by the government 
Just let the government funding go to that. Well, it's interesting, okay, like, so, like Mad Canada. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like Mad Canada, like how much money they spend on programs is like, couldn't it just subsidize the buses for running at night for areas that it isn't that busy? Like, why why not put the money that in that place? Oh, I. You know what? There was this big thing where it's like First Nation reserves around here have these big campaign about missing and murder to Aboriginal women, and like, you know, it's but you have all these reserves that are connected to a town that the reserves have no convenience store, no grocery store. Right. A lot of people with no licenses. And it's like, well, they have to hitchhike, please. And they, they put out these big promotion. They spent millions and millions of dollars. Be like, do not hitchhike. If you're a young first nations woman at night, please don't do that. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Well, is there any sort well, they can take a taxi at a rate of a hundred dollars a ride. Well, no one's going to take that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, you're admitting there's a problem. Hey, there's people mm-hmm. that work in a city center, but live on a First Nations reserve 40, 50 kilometers away. They're, and then they look at these reserves and they're like, well, the reserve is poor because nobody has jobs there and they're on welfare and benefits. And they're like, okay, well, what, what jobs are there? Well, there's no jobs there. They're all in the city. Oh, well, which way do you have to connect this First Nation reserve to the city? There's none. You can hitchhike at night, but don't hitchhike because you'll get murdered. And it's like, why don't they have jobs? Because like just put yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, but then they yeah. justify it and they're like, well, there's nobody working there that really need the bus. But if you provide the free bus that runs every half hour, guess what? They're gonna start looking and be like, hey, I don't no. have a car. So oh, I can take the bus now, I can get a job, therefore then I can buy a car and I can move up. But if you don't even provide them with a goddamn bus to link all these First Nations reserves and communities. They're not going to be able to get to a work to be able to afford a car, and you're going to trap them in this complete welfare benefit system. And it's like the answer is right there. Give the community buses. No more hitchhiking. Better job opportunities. Better runs into town. They're not walking down the middle of the road at night. Like I've had to swerve for a couple because they're walking down the middle of the road, and all of a sudden the headlights light them up, and you're like, oh crap. And he's just trying to get into town to do some shopping or get home yeah. from work, and he's. <sighs> Yeah, usually the the wealthier parts of the reservations, especially uh, between uh, Arizona and New Mexico, the first time I went to a reservation, I cried. I cried because what I was told and what I was taught in regards to these reservations, which, by the way, were supposed to be temporary, I Mm -hmm. saw still schools with conics boxes. I saw gas stations. I saw fast food restaurants. I saw no industry, no warehouses, nothing on that land. Now, they, they're considered sovereign nations separate from the United States. I had, I had delivered uh, two truckloads of 19 pallets of water, and the FEMA officer was standing there. And, and a big box company, I almost said it, I really wanted to, <laughs> they, they, they refused the PO because they said we do not recognize sovereign nation purchase orders. That FEMA officer used his personal credit card to pay for that water. That's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. They said it was an emergency and I had forgotten. I went to the sink in the in the chapter house and I was washing my hands and all of a sudden a couple of drops of water came. I was like, holy shit, they're really out of water. It it, it didn't register. And then the first half that night when we unloaded, because I was told you are not to help them unload the truck because they there was the only way that they were gonna unload it. It wasn't with the forklift. They had they they basically had to say that they had one, even though they didn't. And then the young people, because all the elders were sleeping, getting ready, you know, gotta go to work. And they and I was told do not help them. I said and, and the officer looked at me like you're gonna help because apparently I look native, which is fine by me. I was like, yeah, absolutely. You don't tell, I won't tell. So I said, help them unload it. I unloaded it. Mm-hmm. The second run, Why I made the mistake. The driver but, couldn't help. 
I don't get that one. Okay, so uh, this big box company that I used to work for, a division for it. Hold on, you, you can say the name here. Like, we can, like... Wait. Oh, that's right. Like, uh, it's hey, Canada. Walmart. Let me just go ahead and it say it. Walmart. Walmart refused to acknowledge their purchase order and that heifer Tammy in the office, who talks like this, couldn't stand her. <laughs> she overheard me telling them about how, you know, we, I had to help them. Uh, well, I didn't say help. I said that they had to unload it by hand. She delayed me five hours, and I had to do a ten on on um on the res. That's that's ridiculous. And yeah, for for dance, oh, it's crazy for, for dancing around it. I'm fine saying it because what are they going to come after us for talking about how crappy they are? I would love this to hit the news. Like, hey, look what they did. They're terrible. I, I couldn't believe it. Walmart came yeah. after us for talking about. It. That's why I named the companies because I don't know about the yeah. US, but in Canada, truth is a defense for defamation. What are they going to come out and be like, you're defaming and you're you're saying libel about our company and you're like, okay, as long as what we're saying is true, we can fully have every... I hate that mindset. We're like, you can't say anything bad about these companies because they can come after you. As long as you're not making up lies and you're, what you're saying is truthful, you, I am a big proponent of shame the company. Fuck it, say their name. Let people <laughs> know what these crappy companies do. Because these companies use that scare tactic of, oh, they'll come after you if you say bad things about them. They're like, no, they won't. Number one, you don't have enough money for them to give a shit about. Number two, as long as what you're saying is true, they have no legal recourse to come after you. That's true. That's fair. Well, anyway, Walmart, yeah, they, they, they refused a purchase order. The FEMA officer had to pay out of his own pocket on his personal credit card in order for that tribe to have water. Jeez. Yeah, but what, yeah. What's I was. That? They I was, don't recognize foreign purchase orders. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's pretty much Walmart what he said. U.S. won't buy anything from Walmart in Canada. No, no. Walmart U.S. will not accept a purchase order from a sovereign nation tribe. That's hmm. just a straight up. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, dude. I I, I was floored. Canada. I was at. I I couldn't. I couldn't even speak. I was so stunned. I was like, "Are you kidding?" And then when uh, it came down to it. The second run, they they made me sit and wait, ran my clock out, damn near, got back over there, and I was like, you know, and they gave me the shittiest pallet jack, and I was like, you know what, screw you, I'm gonna help them, and I helped them unload the damn truck. Screw mm-hmm. this. Screw. Yeah. Oh man, that's awful. Oh, this, the some of the shit that I've seen as a driver, you know, traveling to for, the 48 states, you know, okay, so I look quote unquote racially ambiguous. You don't know what the hell I am, so I could look Hawaiian. I could look native, I could look black, whatever it is, whatever blows smoke up your ass, fine, whatever I am. And what I've seen over time is that it's never one particular group or another. It's damn near everybody. Like I had a, a, some lady I delivered at a Walmart and the, the baker said that I had, I, I was hiding things in my dress. I was like, I'm not even wearing brawn panties. Where would I put it? Is it a suppository? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, <laughs> And, and the thing was, is that, again, the, the profiling, it's not just the, it's just not public servants. It's the, it's a, it's an implicit bias across the board and it doesn't matter ethnicities now it's across the board. I'm like, whatever makes you feel happy. I've damn near gotten a fist fights. Cause they're like, oh, you're black. What are we going by the one drop rule of slavery? Is that what we're doing now? I was hmm. like, look, my mother's Korean. We'll fist fight about it. If you want, that's perfectly fine by me, you know? Uh- I think just the mentality here is just so hyper focused on it now. It's because they're trying to divide everyone on what it's some yeah. yep. race issue. Oh, yeah. we'll divide everyone on race, or we'll divide everyone politically: Democrat, Republican, yep. Black, White, Asian. Money. Like, no matter what, keep fighting amongst each other. 
and then don't realize that the one big issue is really large corporations screwing over ma and pa businesses and the working exactly. people that work for them. That's just Walmart fucking over everybody. And then they're just trying to say, well, there's a sovereign First Nations nation. We can't do business with them. It's their fault. It's no, oh that's just goodness. Walmart being yeah. greedy fucks. That's hey, speaking of down. terrible corporations, uh, there's a movie on Netflix called Dark Waters, and it's about DuPont, like uh, when they put a bunch of chemicals into a water system by that one town in the States. Great movie. It just shows how Ooh. much power corporations have and how easy it is for them to screw people. They did get like fine and pay out, but like DuPont's still a huge company and they pretty much killed a ton of people and poisoned the whole town. Oh, yeah, I read an article. Same thing. Alaska. One of the tribes up in Alaska just found out that toxic waste had been dumped in their area, and that's why they're getting cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's well, what happened with DuPont. And like DuPont's still huge. Like it, they paid out lots, but yeah. like, like they make a billion a year off the one chemical. And I think that like that was like they did it for 50, 60 years. And I think they had to pay out like almost 600 million. Like that's it. Like didn't hurt them really. Yeah. That's the biggest issue is that these fines that they come out with against these corporations and it's globally, but they're like, Oh, you made $7 billion, but you destroyed this. Well, we're going to fine you 1 billion. Well, that's okay. That just means that their cost of doing business to make 7 billion is 1 billion. Mm. They made a $6 billion profit. Oh, they did the math. Like if you, if you ever do anything like this, the fines should be X number of amount of total revenue you made, like, like patent infringement. If you Mm -hmm. steal somebody's patent, you're liable for not only damages, you're liable for all the revenue they made the entire time they used your patent. That's what they can come after you at. Why is environmental and like social damage somehow like, oh, well, it's only 5% of your profit. That's all we'll charge you. It's a fine. Please do better. It's like it should be multiples of that. All the money you made completely off of this factory in the 50 years you were met, you were producing, every single dollar that you made needs to get paid back. Because you were willingly killing people, like mm-hmm. you can't do that. No, it's it's ridiculous. Like they they probably did the numbers because as soon as they released it, it was for uh, Teflon, and uh, yeah. as soon as they made it in the sixties, in the first year, they understood that it killed people. They're like, well, you know, if we can produce for 60, 70 years, we'll make so much money that yeah, we'll pay oh, out a few wow. billion. We don't care. And yeah, that's exactly like it was just numbers. They're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll kill some people, pay out a few billion. That's fine. Uh, so if you work for DuPont, you're garbage. Sorry, that's a terrible statement. Or at least you work for a garbage company. <laughs> yeah, it's Nestle, <laughs> DuPont. You know what? Uh, we've heard a lot lately in the news about all these Russian oligarchs. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll mm-hmm. seize the assets of the Russian oligarchs because they influence the Russian government and they have a decision in Russian government policy because they have so much political influence in Russia that they should be held responsible for the bad things that happens. But yet, why isn't anyone talking about American oligarchs? I mean, yeah, like thank the you. Koch thank you. brothers, the Rockefellers. There are American yeah. oligarchs where there are families that have so much wealth and billions and billions of dollars that they buy lobbyists, they buy politicians, yes. they influence, they do the exact same thing that the Russians do, but they're just but they call American it something versions. Yep. Like, why, why aren't we going after American oligarchs like we do Russian oligarchs? Seize their assets. Fuck it. DuPont. I'm sorry, but DuPont killed, like, I think it was, like, 5,000 people. And then you look at, like, Bhopal disaster, where U.S. chemicals killed 25,000 people. Like, killed Mm. 25,000. Like, we're talking Ukraine-level damages. So, like, if the Russian military can do that kind of damage and infringe it, like, you know, do all these things, 
well, let's start seasoning the oligarchs, yeah. the American oligarchs, the Canadian oligarchs, like the Irving family. Seize that oligarch's money and just say, you know what? Fuck you. You're killing us. You're poisoning the environment. You're cutting job rates. Whatever. Take Get rid of the oligarchs. We get rid of the Russian oligarchs. Let's get rid of the U.S. oligarchs. We don't need oligarchs at all anymore. Yeah, but it's just it's just news and media. Like They can have you so confused because even that town that was getting poisoned – like they were hating on the, the lawyers and everything that were trying to sue DuPont because DuPont had so much in that town, so much into the community, and they a little bit of advertisement like, hey, we're the good guys. So there's people who are literally right. getting poisoned by them. And they were like, Yeah, why are you getting mad at DuPont? Like they're 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 great. They donated to my kids uh soccer team. It's like right, what? right. Yeah. There is a there's a show on Prime Video, it's Jack Reacher. It's one of the newer the newer versions of Jack Reacher. Excellent show. Everything that we're talking about in regards to um, when, with the oligarchs mm-hmm. is it the storyline is amazing because mm. it takes place in a place called Margrave. The same concept that you, we are discussing right now. Everybody was owned by the Kleiners, and everybody functioned off of what they did. Even though an EPA agent got killed, people are getting poisoned. That mm. type of concept it happens all the time. One family will own an entire town. In fact, one town I was just recently at, damn near everybody got cancer. I, it, well, I got cancer. My wife had cancer. I was like, are you kidding? Do you not see a pattern here? Yeah. Because of all the warehouses near the river. I was like, wow. Do, do, do you not understand? in Canada, too, with the Irving family. Wow. They, there was tons of people with neurological disorders, cancer rates super high in these towns in, like I think, Newfoundland or Nova Scotia. And it was all linked to an Irving factory that was operating in the area. It's like, man, this average life expectancy in this town is like 20 years less than the national average. And they're like, what's going on? It's like, well, it's probably that factory that's dumping waste into the groundwater. Like, what's going? Like, I don't think you should be allowed to be in business if you're killing the people in the town you're working in. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. I, I would see it as a form of murder, but, you know, intentional. But whatever, you Manslaughter. know, I don't think first. it's intentional Mans- first degree murder. But if you were to do something and as a result of your action, somebody dies, like if I grabbed a machine gun in the air, fired that machine gun, a bullet came down, hit somebody, I'd be charged with manslaughter because my actions, whether I intended somebody to die or not, led to somebody dying. OK, but OK, it, let's it, take it, it the next step. But if your scientist mm. said, by the way, this is toxic, this is possible of killing people, we've seen it in the rats, then what does it become? I, that's why I was going to go too. I think it is more than, than just manslaughter because it would chase with your machine gun analogy. I think in this situation, it's you pointing it at a crowd, maybe a few hundred yards away and saying, hey, this is almost guaranteed going to kill some people, but it may not. So we're going to try it. I think <laughs> you know, that's more actually, like first. You know, what? you know what I think now that I'm saying this is that we define businesses as being people. Businesses have a separate legal identity. Entity. I think mm-hmm. if a business commits murder or manslaughter, however we define it, if you're a human, you get life in prison. If I fired a machine gun into a crowd of people and be like, well, I made a lot of money by firing that. Somebody paid me a billion dollars to go shoot all those people with a machine gun. They're like, yeah, I knew they were going to die, but I made a billion dollars. They'd be like, you would look at you and be like, absolutely life in prison. You, yeah. you can't get out of prison. Yep. That is life in prison or a death sentence if you're in some states. I think if a company does it, we should be allowed to take them to court because they are a person. Try and be like, did yep. you have the knowledge? And be like, okay, well, you had the knowledge that these it was going to kill people. You didn't uh, do anything about it. 
well, I'm sorry, but we're giving you a life sentence. Your business can no longer exist. We're seizing mm-hmm. yep. all the assets of that business. We've given you a life prison sentence. DuPont is no longer allowed to legally be a company anymore because you killed thousands of people. You're yeah. a murderer. You you have a life prison sentence. I, well, I, see, here's an, uh, I agree with you as well. One of the issues that we come across is that these these uber rich corporations and the owners, the stockholders and, and the boards of directors, they're able to create a dummy corporation to, to soak up the settlement issue and then go ahead and dissolve it. There are so many tactics for corporations to get out of paying for the, the, li- the liabilities that they've caused. It's insane when it comes to corporate law here in the United States. I, I was, uh, as a business major, I studied just a very minute part of it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you could get away with absolute murder. Wait, many of them have. And there was actually a documentary on it. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. We talked about this a fair few times in this podcast about the Humboldt accident. Mm. Where yes. that owner brought in a foreign worker with no training and he yep. killed somebody. So they went after the company and they're like, we're going to shut down your NSC number temporarily while we do this investigation. And he said, okay. He turned around and immediately he had a backup company where the assets yep. were owned by a different company that was working for it. And he just continued operating. And it's like, if you think one guy with a small trucking company of five, six trucks can figure out how to have backup assets in his pockets, are you thinking these international billion dollar yeah, companies yeah. don't mm-hmm. have something to be like, Oh yeah, no worries. No, like any, any high member on these companies, like say with the like any high standing member, they should be a part of it. Like if you had knowledge of it, that should be criminal offenses. And it occasionally there's a fall guy, one or two, but like to the point where like the most of them are fine. They, they, they go about their day, they go about their lives and it's no problem when it should be. So what do you like? That's the thing is like, what do I well, suggest? That's where I, I like I Norway's know. example. I, I love what Norway does is that they basically said like, hey, the government's investing in your company and there's going to be a government representative on the board. So if somebody comes along like DuPont, be like, hey, you guys, just so you know. We have a board of director meeting, like some people are going to get poisoned, but we can make a lot of money. Everyone's like, well, we're making a lot of money. The government member on the board can be like, oh, no, we're not poisoning an entire mm. town so that the shareholders can make money. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, OK, I guess we will. Well, <laughs> kind of like, it's such an easy solution, yeah. but everyone Checks seems and to hate having government in business. But that's why, like, that's why I'm more with the Germany side of things, not having government in business, but just having people more on the ground floor. Because I also do think those people might be more morally obligated to disagree with them like hey uh no i don't benefit either way here but i definitely know we shouldn't screw over a whole town and try kill people and then you're not government overreach it's just within the company but the thing is is that the company is going to appoint someone at least when it's a government the government just chooses somebody that thinks it has the best interest of the people appoints them if it's a company choosing like hey you have to choose some random employees they are going to pick the most corporate like we're talking to like the people in the town that were being poisoned being like well dupont's good because of this they're gonna be like mm-hmm. well, they're hired as the board yep. guy yeah that's that's very true like yeah. I, I don't know how you do it but then again in the u.s or wherever you would be all you could say is like yeah the companies are gonna hire lobbyists so that the lobbyists appoint somebody that's super business to a, yep. I don't know how a you PR do specialist, public relations specialist. They'll, they'll get someone to be able to to spin the words to make it always sound pretty. Yeah, we got mm-hmm. so there's no easy answer to this, but God, we've got to figure out something that's better than what we got. Of hey, just so you know, it's all billionaires on a board of directors or multimillionaires that have a, only a financial interest in looking how these mega corporations act. 
Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but when you, like, we were doing the math, do you realize that the 10 richest people, if you were to add up their, uh, the 10 richest people all have a net worth more than the GDP of the 100 companies. Like, if, if you were to take Elon wow. Musk, he gets all the way up to 40 alone. Like, he has more money than 40 countries' GDP below him. Like, at that point, when these co- corporations are worth trillions and trillions of dollars, like, you were to just look at Tesla, the corporation of Tesla has more GDP or a higher valuation than the GDP of Canada. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, at this point, why would you let a country be in run around by one people? Like, I think people should have a little bit more say in the company. And uh, I don't know. There's no easy answer because then you start getting into socialism and like even communism. That doesn't work. But I don't know what you do. But mm. I feel like everybody working is getting screwed. And that's why I came out with the one thing I said at Edison Motors. I just put it in the articles of incorporation that. The directors of the corporation have a fiduciary duty to the environment and the community we operate in. All I did was directly in there as directors in Edison, we have a legal obligation to the company in the job role to look after the employees, the community, and the environment. I just made a law that said we had to look after that and beyond just shareholder profit. Mm-hmm. Like, at least I'm trying there, but like, I don't know what else you do. Like, yeah, no, it's it's kind of a sad reality, I think, when you think about it for too long. Well, what you've done is is that you've sta- you've stated in in this well, you have stated in the building of this business that the focus has shifted. You are there to profit, yes. You are there to be able to provide a product and service, yes. At the same token, anybody that's going to say, "Hey, you know what? I want in." That's one of the reasons what pulled me to this company. What I heard was that they take care of their drivers people stayed why did they stay they stayed because there's bunk rooms they stayed because they they have driver's lounges if you need to be taken care of somebody's got your back that's what pulled me here that old style school of trucking where there was a sense of community the minute that i came onto the lot i had a driver said hey driver your lights out Mm. if you're out if you're out on the interstate nobody gives a crap if your lights out i was like daggone i'm just in the yard and they care you know, I'm talking to these old school drivers and they don't know. And I'm going to say this, say this on this podcast. You guys mean so much to me. All of your stories, your adventures. Yeah, you, you, you sat in a truck for 30 some odd years. That's not that's not chump change. That's not something small, especially to someone like me, where I just jumped in this industry not even five years ago and was like, boy, I've had so much to learn. I don't even know if I could do this and the encouragement that's provided. I mean, you're talking about seeing how the roads changed, how infrastructures were built and taken away. So for me, when you as an owner say, I am responsible, not just for the environment, but also for the people that, that I serve and that, that work for me, and also the community at large, you're bringing back what the corporations took out. And that is, a co- that it's a cohesion of people, of the whole point of being in a business was to take care of the people around you. Mm-hmm. That was the origin for business. Especially, I mean, the United States, this whole, we, I was sold on the idea of capitalism as a kid. So, you know, the, the Carnegie's, the Rockefellers. And then later on in life, I found out, oh, the Rockefellers are the ones that instituted the drug laws in 64 that got my, my uncle killed. Wow, I didn't know that. You know, all of these things, when you, when you break it down and you say, I'm going to create a business, I'm going to provide a service, I'm going to provide products that not just enhance my pocketbook, but also the lives around me. 
that is the starting point. And then having those people draw those people in that say, I want to be part of that. That's what entrepreneurship is. It's not entrepreneur is the one that builds the business. Entrepreneur, that's the one that says, hey, you know what? I'm a I'm company. I want to make this better. I want to see the systems get better, not get rid of people, not change the way that they operate. No, change the perception. This, these generations of drivers that are coming through, they, oh, they don't like to work. They're snowflakes. No, they saw us, Generation S. They saw us bust our ass and get absolutely nowhere. They saw the boomer generation get all the spoils that were born, born right after World War II. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Gen X, we ain't got shit. And then our kids, millennials and Gen Z are going, uh, so grandma, what is with this? You know, they're yep. questioning this. The, the, we want to break down of the system. And as a business owner, that's where you start. Well, and that's exactly where our ethos is, ethos is with Edison. We don't want planned obsolescence. I'm tired of planned obsolescence. I'm tired of, I want good wages for my employees. I want trucks that last. I want to look after a community, bring shit back, and I give a shit about the environment. I feel like a business should be able to tackle those things. Okay, we might make a few billion dollars less per year. And if people are like, well, that might distract some investors, well, fuck them. Honestly, if, you, if all you care about is money and you don't care if we poison a community or what person we lay off or what family has to go hungry, then don't invest in Edison. That's not exactly. what yeah. no. But I can and, get up here and I can't say on a podcast that I care about these issues if I'm not willing to do so with my own company. Yeah. And uh, no, it's actually interesting. Back to that uh, movie I was talking about. I got to fact check the part and make sure, but there's a border meeting part where they are discussing continuing with the case because they deal with DuPont and make a lot of money with them. And they're like, okay, do we stop? And I need to make sure if this is true or not. But the one guy stands up and he's like, why are we talking about if, if this, if we were going after this, this is just about money. People are dying. We have to do something. And it's like, right. I, I believe those conversations happen all the time. Like, like boardroom saying, well, you know, do we cut in here? Well, how many thousands are dying? Well, you know, maybe, you know, we'll lose profit if we do anything. Oh, oh we lost her. Yeah. Damn. We should probably wrap this up. This is going on to like an hour and a half long. Episode. Yeah. Oh, she's back. Well, okay, perfect, perfect. Well, that was the end of my rant. But uh, yeah, we are we are going pretty long here, so I think we are going to wrap up right away. Awesome. This was a good episode. Though. Yeah, it was very good. I, we keep saying we're not getting political, and we I feel like we got we're pretty always political. political. You know what? Fuck it. This one's not political. I don't think this is political to be like, no, fuck it. If you think this this is a political episode where it's like, <laughs> hey, businesses shouldn't poison people yeah that's not political no 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 businesses yeah. should poison people it's only about the money well then fuck off yeah that's, that's, that's <laughs> not political i don't know who could be against that everyone check so out the much, movie guys. dark waters sorry sorry but yeah thanks for coming on that was great appreciate yeah, it Yeah, that was awesome mm -hmm. um where can people find you on social media oh you can't find me i've dropped off the face of the earth i'm done with social media for now um Good. i'm just i'm just trying to work on my trucking and and data science that's where i'm at so no i'll be following you guys though i'm, I'm i watch every once in a while on the tiktoks okay oh, perfect man. sounds good well thank you so much for coming on appreciate it awesome Goodbye. chat with you later